Post, bringing Oakland's increasing community concerns about this tech intrusion. Advanced tickets available at brownpapertickets.com and supportive indie bookstores. For Stephen Hill, Raw Deal, June 9th. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is April the 26th, 2016. Uh, Were you listening to that last program? I love it. I love it. I love it. I guess, I guess we might as well throw in the sponge, give it up. The big question is always, does the brain have breasts? Of course, it's all true. Um... I know that estrogen definitely, (laughs) definitely changes my mood. I haven't tried testosterone. That may be, that may be another trip. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. Gender behavior in primates just, I, I just find it so exciting. There's a book I want to bring down here one day. It's called, um, Descent of Woman. Uh, never mind. It's, uh, it's hilarious, but it always confuses me more, more than it helps. Uh, the thing is, uh, well, the thing is that the bonobo apes, they're the ones, they're the, the hippies, the hippies, the chimpanzees are still pretty mean, but check out the bonobos for a, uh, what you call that, um, uh, woman-centered, feminine, female-centered, society. It's cool. Uh, actually, uh, when I was in school, I was told that uh, men, males, learn from the animals, and the females, women, learn from the plants, which is why men stand up and women sit down, right? <laughs> Never mind. I... Oh, dear. Queen Elizabeth is 90 years old. I love it, I love it, I love it. Oh, it is good to be the queen. She's been on that throne longer than Queen Victoria. Never mind that uh, Elizabeth II has presided over the disintegration of the British Empire. I don't think she minds all that much. She's a very 
practical, down-to-earth woman. Still, monarchy is a big deal in the UK. And uh, as the late Princess Diana Spencer was once heard to remark, the Windsors take themselves too seriously. Barack Obama and his wife uh, wished her happy birthday. I saw them on the television, yes. Uh, and then there was a, a, a fuss, uh, a flack, flap, 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 right? Um, because Michelle Obama touched the queen. I believe she just touched her on the shoulder. Uh, now, it's natural for women... Here we are back to gender behavior. Yes. It's very natural for women to touch old people, especially most of us know instinctively that elders need some, some reassurance, some kindness. Uh, remember that. Always hug anybody over 65. Just hug anybody. Just, you know, just do what you can to make people feel loved um however the protocol the protocol at the palace uh says that no one no one touches the queen uh now that makes sense of course because she's out among the people and she probably would catch cold if she had if she had to hug everybody uh of course you know all this stuff it's counterintuitive this business of uh what do you call that? Uh, formality, yes. It makes no sense to a sensitive woman like our First Lady. Uh, she lives in a woman's world. She has two teenage daughters, and her mom, her mother, lives with her and the President. Um, there in the White House, his mother-in-law, right there. Mm -hmm. Must be a really, really sensible man, Barack. Uh all about family um, and about touch. Actually, I think he has been known to say in interviews that he is grateful for Michelle's very, uh, what do you call that, uh, traditional family, his own being quite cosmopolitan, if you remember. Uh, his dear mom, I wouldn't call her a hippie, but you know, she she did travel and of course her uh second husband well not barack's father the his stepfather was uh, an indonesian and uh he definitely barack definitely got a world view very young uh okay anyway the point is to reach out it's the times you remember diana the princess she said all that stuff about hugging your children. Right. Uh, <laughs> I got it. What I got a kick out of was Prince Harry, you know, the younger son. William's the older son. And uh, let's see. Right. Yeah. Charles is the son of Queen Elizabeth II. And his children, Harry and William, right, are the heirs to the throne. Now, Harry seems to be the playboy, William being married and a father now. Uh, I saw Harry on the tube uh, the day after that, that brouhaha over the, the uh, touch on the shoulder. And Harry, God bless his youthful 
uh, spirit. He went right up to Michelle Obama and kissed, I kid you not, he kissed her on the cheek. That's the revolution of touch. <laughs> I hope he learned it from his mom. Maybe, maybe the world is changing. Uh, always the best of times, the worst of times. My favorite cause this season is of all things, animal rights. I'm, I'm just crazy about all the, uh, the TV animals. Let's see, there's the National Geographic and Nature and all those good shows. I'm too lazy to take care of very many animals. I just have a cat. That's all I can handle now. But I just love to think about them and to watch them. Uh, I guess, I guess giving, giving thought to animal rights says more, says more than, than, uh, giving thought to all the human pain. Suffering is kind of a, kind of a quandary, you know. There's certainly no lack of it. Uh, I think it's because animals have been less, lesser for so long, long, with the inevitable exceptions, of course, human beings have treated the other animals, I mean, even worse than we treat each other. Uh, I can't watch. I think Nietzsche was, Frederick Nietzsche was uh, uh, known, well, he went mad, and he, he uh, was apparently out in the street trying to save a horse. You remember the days when horses... Uh, pulled us around and this horse was being whipped and apparently this was the moment at which Fred Nietzsche cracked and had to be put away because it broke his heart. Anyway, I think that respect for wild animals has always been around. We know that from the cave paintings and just from, just from good sense, obviously, uh, uh people, humans have always worshipped nature, known that it was sacred, you know. Uh, early man, yes, early man. Uh, of course, then he discovered, uh, we discovered that the animals tasted good, especially when roasted or fried. Uh, I guess we love our domesticated dogs and, and the horses. Oh, oh, the horses. I loved my horse when I was 15. Wow. Out there in Arizona. And, of course, there are the uh, service animals, the sheep and the cattle and the pigs and the goats. And without them, we would not have made it into what is called civilization. All those animals have been exploited to the max. Uh, <laughs> we've even convinced ourselves that some of them like it. Dogs and horses, especially the uh, dogs and uh well, some of the horses do seem to like us. Why, I'm not sure. I think it's because we we bred them to be uh, sympathetic or empathetic, anyway, to like us more than um, to eat us. Yes, the wolves probably didn't, didn't care uh, a thing about us. Uh, uh, anyway, that breeding thing, that's... Uh, a moral dilemma if there ever was one these pitiful little creatures that have been bred to be well uh, I don't know what to call it uh, 
not monsters, but you know, these little, little dogs that are so tiny or their legs are too short for their bodies and all that stuff. Drives me crazy. Uh, anyway, I think that the helping animals have given us much more than we deserve. I think this business of the dogs is fascinating. Uh, we're increasing their skill sets with the breeding and the training. It seems that some dogs can diagnose disease, illness. I saw it on television last time I looked. I, I saw a dog who seemed to be able to diagnose cancer simply from um, a urine specimen. Yes, indeed. He could pick out the urine specimens uh, from the patients who had cancer. Now, I don't know whether that's uh, useful, but it certainly is fascinating. Uh, writers, screenwriters, storytellers have picked up on this theme of dogs and uh, their skills in detecting disease. I was watching a show called uh, Outlander about Scotland in the middle of the 18th century, and there was a little dog named Bouton. He appeared this week in uh, Outlander, which has started up again, it's in its third season now. It's this wonderful, wonderful drama series about a woman who time travels from 1945 London back to 1740-something in Scotland. Uh, anyway, uh, it's on Star's Cable. Now, this little dog in the show, he's a feisty little dog named Bouton. He's the assistant, the companion of a nun in a charity hospital in Paris. As I said, it's the middle of the 18th century, so you can imagine what a charity ward uh, in Paris was like in those days this nun or nurse is played by one of my most favorite character actresses Frances Delatour those of you who know her will remember her in a movie called The History Boys uh, she's one of those rare rare uh, actors that you know you never forget most people don't remember her name though she takes the little dog, Bouton, and she places him on the bed with his suffering patient. And uh, she tells him to smell the patient's breath. You know, the bush, go look in his mouth. Yes. And uh, finally, she says that's not where the problem is. She tells the dog to search all over, but be careful because the leg is broken. Anyway, the little dog carefully sniffs out an infection under the skin where it can't be seen, you know. Uh, now, is it possible that any of that stuff could possibly be true or accurate or I think maybe? Uh, anyway, the writers insist they have done their research. They're always giving these little talks after the show. That's something I'm not sure I enjoy. I, I wish they'd we said cut that out. It depends. Sometimes I want to know how they did it. Uh, I do want to know when they have done the research and when they have zeroed in on something that most people 
weren't aware of. Uh, there is a television, a cable television show called The Nick. That's K-N-I-C-K, The Nick. And I must really try to uh, review that in depth deconstruct it uh, because it's about New York City in 19 it starts in 1902 it's about the Knickerbocker Hospital very famous um, place and all the real events there are not just chilling <laughs> they take the top of your head off uh, it's well uh, the history of medicine, I guess, is a field that writers have just discovered, and they're really, really going at it. I have to say that for some people, the Nick is too much. I turn away lately. There's been just too much surgery. Uh, they use prosthetics and all that kind of thing, you know, but still, uh, I don't know. Uh, never mind. Check it out if you are interested. It's got the wonderful actor Clive Owens in the lead. A lot of good actors. Uh, anyway, I like the little bits and pieces I see here and there uh, on television about, uh, let's call it, uh, healers, people who work with herbs, witches and witchcraft uh, in Outlander. There's a lot of that material. The modern woman, she kind of knows what they're doing, and she tries to get them up to date, you know, but it's difficult. Uh, she has to argue with the religious, uh, not healers, the, the religious practitioners, the people who want to pray rather than, you know, clean up the wounds. Anyway, the pagan element is what I love. Check out Outlander if you like that sort of thing. I'm an Anglophile, and I can't resist that stuff. Scotland in 1740s. Just wow. Uh, now, I have a pile of things today, and my time's all up. Here's 18 minutes almost. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, I've only got one more show before the marathon starts. I'll try to squeeze all this in next Tuesday. I want to talk about... Uh, uh, Annie DeFranca. I think, no, let's see. Let me jump over here to what's left of TV in case you're a watcher. Game of Thrones is back on HBO, sixth season. Now, Game of Thrones is a monumental fantasy. Uh, some people find it a habit forming, although there, now there are so many plot lines. I have to just focus on the characters. I, I can't remember the the actual uh, thread sometimes, the plot threads. It, it's just, you know, it's just easier to concentrate on the development of each character than each episode is interesting. Uh, there are themes throughout. I think those are enough to keep the stories interesting. And besides... Game of Thrones has Diana Rigg and Jonathan Price, and Charles Dance. Oh, golly, whole list of major performers, actors. Most of all, they have Peter Dinklage. <clears throat> He's the short actor, you know, people argue over whether, uh, well, in the show, they call him a dwarf. <laughs> anyway, they call him 
all sorts of other things too. He's a uh, what you call that? He's a he's a body fellow. He's turning into a a real thinker. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to him, but he he definitely is the most appealing character for me. Uh, it's it's strange in this week's episode. <clears throat> We got to see just who or what one of the characters really is. She's called uh, the Red Woman or the Red Witch. She's uh, pretty god-awful what she really is. I I don't know whether to call it uh, misogyny. <laughs> Made me think of a painting, the paintings by Klimt, you know, the ones in which you see... Beautiful, beautiful, young, fecund woman. And then uh, she's juxtaposed with a uh, crone whose flesh is just falling off her bones. Uh, anyway, the dragons are still alive. The Game of Thrones, yes. They're dragons. I think the little little dragons, when they were babies, I adored them. But they're getting awfully, awfully large. Uh, anyway... They're off somewhere at the moment. Their mother is in deep yogurt. She's in trouble just at the moment. I think that PBS uh, is doing good things this season. Um, But they can't... uh, I think they need something new now that Downton Abbey is all over. Uh, I think that Downton Abbey... I, I, I don't... I don't want to say mean things because so many people just loved that show. Uh, It presented the British class system as a kind of gentle, soft-spoken arrangement in which the servants compete with their wealthy aristocratic uh, employers, you know, to prove that they, the servants or underclass, are really better bred. The butler upstages the lord of the manor. Never mind Maggie Smith. Smith is so much fun. I just don't care about the reactionary script, the sentiment. Uh, I don't know what it is about. Uh, I think I remember upstairs, downstairs, they tried to grapple with some of the issues, the class warfare, but uh, that's not what most audiences want to see they want to see the kind of romance between the uh, what is that the peasants and the overlords the lady of the manor is played by <clears throat> Elizabeth McGovern in Downton Abbey she is just too precious to believe uh, I remember her in Ragtime, uh, 1980-something, she was the girl in the red velvet swing. Hilarious scenes in which she demands a million dollars for getting her husband off the hook when he shoots uh, Stanford White. I don't know if anybody remembers E.L. Doctorow's uh, tale, Ragtime. Anyway, there she is, full frontal nudity. She's a wonderful in Ragtime. Uh She's kind of a Gibson girl, chorus girl. Uh, she has uh, <laughs> hilarious manners. She's just a just a, a kid trying to get ahead. Uh, she had a 
nice part in the handmaid's tale it's another old picture that uh, i think dates from the 1980s it's margaret atwood's tale of a dystopian society uh in that film she played a renegade a woman who resists the military tyranny that oppresses all women it is a fantasy of course natasha richardson played the lead now elizabeth mcgovern had a part as a sex worker uh in handmaid's tale she uh works in an illegal drinking saloon she i guess it would be kind of like a speakeasy uh the um authoritarian uh rulers just you know they on the side they have a few places they go to be uh vulgar she wears these little gloves fingertips showing and it seems her hands have been crippled by torture all she can do now is offer other bits of her body uh I think that Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale, is still very relevant. Uh, I think if you look around, you will see some <laughs> some things that, well, I, I hope that we, what is it, we won't lose our reproductive rights. But the plot uh, in Handmaid's Tale, it categorizes women. They use a color codes. Yes, the fertile women dress in red, the barren wives in blue. The workers have a sort of gray-green uniform. They call those the, the Marthas. Worst of all, from my point of view, are women dressed in kind of brown, sort of tailored suits. They're the minders, the collaborators, the teachers and managers, the women who maintain patriarchy. They do the dirty work that the military dictatorship demands of them. Uh, now, the fertile women, the women in red, they are prized, of course, but uh, more than all the others, they must be controlled. Sound familiar? It is their task to breed, to get pregnant. Now, if Planned Parenthood, that is, if uh, today's Planned Parenthood is destroyed, that's where we'll be, right there in that novel, as in the past. Women's freedom is the measure of any society. The woman must choose. I'm looking at Anne DeFranco's... Uh, uh, interview in a magazine called Sun, S-U-N. I love Sun. It was uh, given to me by one of our listeners. And she talks about women. Yes, Planned Parenthood, she says. It's an endless fight for reproductive freedom. She says she has a new song called Play God with the Chorus. You don't get to play God, man. I do. <laughs> Oh, boy. She has some brutal things to say. Uh, yes, choosing which eggs get to develop is playing God. No wonder they want to control women. Uh, she goes on to say that creation goes hand in hand with death. An abortion, she says, is a death. Yes. Uh-huh. 
She goes on to talk about her own life. She's had two abortions and two children. Uh, once again, this is a fascinating interview in the May issue of The Sun. Uh, Annie DeFranco, I think, I think I have to save this, the rest of this for next time. Oh dear. Just remember that the first thing Hitler did when he came to power was padlock those birth control clinics. <laughs> I'll be back here at KPFA on the air next Tuesday. This has been Jennifer Stone. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. KPFA Summer Crafts Fair returns to the Craneway Pavilion on the Richmond Waterfront June 18th and 19th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And thanks to our listeners for their generosity and loyalty to KPFA, admission to this fair is free for everyone. The fair offers inspiring and affordable art and crafts displayed in an exhilarating sunshine-filled historic building on the edge of the San Francisco Bay. The KPFA Summer Crafts Fair features artists, craftspeople, and fair traders along with live music and family entertainment both days. There's also the convivial KPFA Lounge and this year a special exhibition Quilts and Quilters featuring five masters of the art. This fair is a benefit for KPFA. Free admission, free parking, free shuttle from Richmond BART. Go to kpfa.org slash craftsfair slash 